we're going to open with a word of prayer. At some point, we might see our solo pastor. He's been abandoned by both Ben and Michael. So go gentle with him today. Well, one's in Florida, and the other's preaching in Loudonville. So there we go. So um, Dave was kind enough to gather some cards and pens, which he's going to hand around because we're going to begin with a little exercise on prayer after I pray, and you all give me an update on how things went last week. What did you learn? So that gives you a moment to think about it. So let's pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the gift of your living word, for the ways in which ancient texts speak into our lives in the here and now, sometimes uncomfortably so. So Lord, bless us into this time today. Bless us into your word that we might be shaped and formed according to your purpose. We pray this in the name of your incarnate word, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, could somebody please tell me, what did you learn last week? Because I need help. What happened with chapter 10? Does anybody remember? Oh, great. Spring forward. Oh, the truth comes out. John, any wisdom? I wasn't here. Oh, I can see the impact I had. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, um, I didn't realize that Michael, that's all right. It's all good. Actually, the reality is that we're kind of into this um, final vision, if you will, of Daniel's. Uh, So chapters 10 through 12, and you better be here next week so we can finish strong together. Chapters 10 through 12 are of the final vision of Daniel. So, you know, we get to nine, and it feels like maybe we're tipping into some good news. The, the exiles are going to get to return home, and although Daniel has deep grief that he doesn't also get to go, um, there is this deep sense of joy that God's people will return to the beautiful city, that there will be restoration, redemption. Um, but then he has another vision. And this vision is so painful to him because it reflects that, yes, the um, exiles will return and it is not the end of the destruction the, or the end of the crazy-making between nations. And, and so deep is his grief that he enters into a three-week period of fasting and mourning. Um, What's fascinating to me about last week's uh, chapter is that as he enters into this place of deep prayer, we're told that his prayer is answered immediately, but it takes three weeks for the messenger of God, the angel, to get to him. Three weeks. Oh, okay, you better tell me more then. And all these years, sometimes people pray for 21 years, and they realize they were 
Oh, you have just created the most perfect setup, John, for the task that we're about to attend to. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, I actually have to say, um, my theology of prayer very much mirrors what John has just said, and, and it underscores the fact that we are all called to pray continually. Um, so I think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Um, and so what I would like you all to do, and this is just for you, we're not going to come back and share on this, but I want you to, you've been given a slip of paper, um, uh, I want you to ask God to place names on your heart and just write um, the names that God has asked you to pray for, to hold in prayer on that slip of paper. And then I want you to kind of stick it, whether it's in your Bible or your wallet or your purse, in a place that's a reminder that, um, that God does indeed uh, respond to our prayers. Perhaps not always, indeed not always, in the concrete ways we are asking, but, but it was Jesus himself who said, ask, seek, knock. And often we have to ask in the particularity to be shifted into the place that God would have us be um, in that place for deep redemption. So let's just take a moment and, um, and see what names, two to three, uh, that God places upon your heart that you're to be holding in prayer in this season. And then make sure you stick it where you're going to get to see it, whether it's with your daily devotions, with your Bible, in your wallet, on a mirror at home. Um, but again, this is just a commitment to prayer that you are making um, in this season, especially as we uh, live into um, Holy Week and beyond. You can keep the list out, and then I'm going to ask you to turn it over because we're going to be praying for the city of Canton over the next two weeks as we tip into Holy Week. Um, and, and as we sort of pull ourselves uh, into that place of intentionality, I want to reflect a little bit about mourning because our practice um, for this last week was mourning. And one of my favorite um, pieces of wisdom that comes from Desert Father Abba Piman is the greater the hollow carved out in grief, the more room for joy to dwell therein. There is a, a paradox in this. 
Um, but it's a really important paradox for us to ponder. Because I think we live in a culture that is deeply adverse to mourning. We don't want to feel bad. We're a feel-good culture. And so whether it's popping a pill um, or it is having an extra drink or it is going for that next workout to get that adrenaline surge, there, our culture teaches us actually to run from mourning. But the reality is this. When we are not attentive to that to which we need to grieve, those for whom we need to grieve, that for which we need to grieve, we get stuck. And much of my work, as you all know, over the last 20 years has been working with stuck congregations and stuck communities. And I believe that Daniel provides us a model for moving beyond the stuck if we are willing to be attentive to the practice of mourning. Because part of what mourning does is it calls us to let go of life as we have known it so that our hands might be open to receive that which God has to give us. Letting go precedes taking hold. And mourning, remember those habits we talked about, the cue and the response and the routine in between? Mourning is a practice that allows us then to move through that letting go in order to take hold. And so I want to look at a rhythm by which we might pray for the city of Canton. Now you've just asked God to give you names of people that are close and dear to you because we need to pray with specificity. So, th so if you look at it, there is that personal level and now there is a collective level. I want you to dare to weep for Canton. And I want you to consider doing a prayer drive. Take yourself through neighborhoods that you don't normally go through. Let your eyes be Christ's eyes. As you go on that drive, ask for God to give you the eyes of Christ to see the community as God sees our community. I always make a mess. And then I want you to dare to weep over our community where we are, you know, there is the already of God's reign, of God's blessing, and the not yet. Where you encounter the not yet, allow yourself to grieve. And then I want you to give thanks to God for the ways that God is already at work in that community. You've already heard me talk about um, when Lorraine gathered all the community health workers here in this space, one of the things that I was most profoundly taken by was their hope. But it wasn't a, a Pollyanna hope. It was a hope that actually was willing to name the reality of where the community is. And in that naming and in that weeping, they were able then to begin to look at the possibilities in terms of how God could be at work. And let me tell you, those community workers, they were powerhouse women. And, um, and they were fierce women of faith. And it was humbling to be with them. So I want you to, um, to do a prayer drive.
in which you're willing to weep over the not yet of God's reign in our city, to worship God and thank God for the way in which God is already at work ahead of us, and then to want to rebuild. How is God calling us to build the new in the already and not yet of God's reign? And how are we being called to go to work for this city? Because you see, our mission field begins at our doorstep. Jesus is clear. Before his ascension, he said to the disciples, you are to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And to be sure, when we engage with Mission West and when we go on mission trips that carry us outside of our comfort zone, we come back with Christ's eyes. We come back with new eyes to see things we had not seen before. But the reality is, there is a mission field right at our doorstep, and we have been blessed and privileged to be called into this mission field. So, you've got names of people that God is calling you to pray for over these next two weeks as we, we come into this last period of Lent. And I'm asking you to pray for the city with intentionality to dare to grieve for the places where we got stuck and we couldn't let go in order to live into God's new. And to grieve that. Because only as we grieve can we move out of the stuck. And who knows, maybe next week I'll take you through an embodiment exercise. We could have really a lot of fun with that. But that's for next week. We might go through the eye of the needle. We'll see. This I know, that when we dare to enter into mourning, crying out to God, healing begins. And it's then that we're freed to join in bearing Christ's love in ways beyond our imagining. But there's also some acknowledgement that needs to come, and that's what tips us into chapter 11. So with chapter 10, in these last three chapters, we have this final vision given to us. In chapter 11, so, so chapter 10, from the first verse to 11.1, we actually have the vision. It's an introduction to the vision, rather. Now, as we go into the 11th chapter, um, and it's the whole chapter, we're given the vision itself. Next week will have God's instruction on how to respond to the vision. But the memory verse I want to give us comes today from Daniel 11.35. So it's later in the chapter, um, in which we're told that some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless. Now that's a new take, isn't it, folks? How many of us, when we mess up, you know, just beat ourselves up, 
as opposed to receiving it as an opportunity for God's refinement. Early church father Irenaeus said sin happens. But the problem is when we stop learning. It's not the sin. It is the inability to turn back to God and to allow God to use it as a refining moment. So you just imagine in this moment all that Daniel's holding inside of himself. Here is this holy man who loves God and has remained faithful to God. Here is this holy man who knows that he is not going to get to return home with the other exiles. And now he's given the burden of this vision. In the beginning of the chapter, we have two great powers. The powers are Persia and Greece. But one can almost hear the powers, the United States and Russia, or China. And part of what Daniel's calling us to is understanding that there will always be the powers of this world, and there will always be struggles between kings, and kings will do as kings please. But as we come to next week in the opening verses of chapter 12, there will be salvation of God's people. The root word for salvation is salvos. Think about it, a salve, healing, wholeness. And I also want you to, to bring into that a sense of the journey that we will embark on um, in one week's time with Holy Week, in which Jesus models for us the reality that it is only as we are broken that we can be shared. So for me, the tension of this chapter is how often we try to run from brokenness. hide from our sins. There was a hysterical series of photos on Facebook. I may even made Dick look at them, of little children hiding. You know, so these little children are behind the curtains, but you can see their feet. They're sitting on the sofa with the big cushion on top, but you, again, see the little feet poking out. Or half the body's under the bed, but you can see the little feet. How many times do we do that, folks? I mean, it is really cute in a toddler. It is not cute in an adult. So part of the invitation, I think, of Daniel 11 is to not get caught up in the crazy-making that is just, quite frankly, part of the cycles of life and part of the cycles of civilization, but rather to be very intentional um, to how we will live out of our core identity in Christ, how we will allow those times when we stumble to be opportunities to return home to God anew 
and to be transformed degree by degree until we take on the image of Christ. And in that transformation, to then be ready for our call in this time and in this place. A call that will only be found as we dare to claim our passions and our strengths as they intersect with the needs of the community. Chapter 11, well really 10 through 12 of Daniel, if we get caught up in, in just uh, an inner dialogue and outer dialogue of how the world has gone to hell in a handbasket, we're going to cop out. It isn't just simply that it's going to immobilize us. It's a cop out, folks. Because part of what Daniel models to us is intentionality. And part of what Daniel calls us to um, is an intentionality that allows our lives to be ever shaped by practice. Practices that are not an end in and of themselves, but, but practices that allow us to continually come home to God anew. Now, for those of you who like history, I'm going to give you the history. But again, I want you not to get caught up in that because I want you to allow the literary function of the text to actually speak to the reality that these are part of the cycles of civilization. But in this chapter, we bridge between the foreshadowing of the historical reign of Antiochus IV Epiphanes and the prophetic reign of the Antichrist, known as the Little Horn. At the time of our vision, Cyrus of Persia is in power. The captives have been freed to return home and rebuild the temple. And outwardly, it would seem that all is well. But what Daniel is told in this vision is that one tumultuous reign will follow another. Scripture tells us, in 11, 3 through 4, now then I tell you the truth, three more kings will appear in Persia and then a fourth who will be far richer than the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Huh, I think we might think of some common parallels there for today. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out to the four winds of heaven. For us, the prophecy of Daniel is a history lesson in which we look at the seven rulers of the south and the rulers of the north and standing in between these warring powers geographically is Israel, the beautiful land, which becomes the pawn to the power struggles. Not much has changed, folks. Um, and then as we're reminded in verse 14, violence begets violence. A painful lesson that Israel needs to learn again and again, and each one of us needs to learn again and again, is that worldly alliances apart from God do not bear peace. For after coming to an agreement, 
the one who is not given the honor of royalty will act deceitfully, and with only a few people will he rise to power. And then here's the interesting thing, folks. Um, from a life cycle perspective, I would say it is the challenge of plateau there in the place where we feel most secure, be we a church or a community or a nation. In that time of security, in that time of wealth, then is the invasion, then is the distribution of plunder and loot and overthrow. So Daniel's vision calls us to remember that our security is not found in this world, but in God. And it calls us to remember that when we lose it, when we stumble and fall, God will use our failures, our brokenness, to refine and purify, and quite frankly, to humble us such that our hearts once again are turned to compassion. I don't know about you, but I know that some of the most thoughtless seasons of my life have been when I've been full of myself. When I have thought, well, didn't I do good? It's embarrassing to admit, but it's real. You know it's real. And the reality is that when we are able out of our brokenness to live into the salvation, the wholeness of God, it's then that God can most use us. And so, you know, the invitation of Daniel 11 is both to understand that there will always be this stuff going on. There is no period in history when this stuff has not gone on, and some of it's worse than others. But our call in the midst of it is to participate in the already and not yet of God's reign. Jesus is to say in the Gospel of Mark, those who are not with me are against me. Jesus offered his life to God as a living sacrifice. As his disciples, we are called to do the same. Often it takes a crisis to bring us home. And so I think as we pray for this city, as we pray for our country, we have the opportunity to pray that it brings us home again. So I've got some questions for reflection for you all to work with around table. We've got extra copies here if you don't have them. I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to bear your souls in terms of um, where you've fallen and stumbled. That's for you to spend some time with God on. But I am going to um, ask you to go ahead and read Romans 12, 1 through 3. And then I'm going to ask you to reflect on how Daniel and his life was a living role model of what it means to be a living sacrifice. And I want you to ponder at your tables, how is God calling us, Christ in the city, to be a living sacrifice? What is God asking us to do in order to live into God's missional call? So verses, I mean, questions three and four for chapter 11. Uh, and I'll put some copies on each table. But go ahead and, um, and if somebody, uh, actually let's have somebody read for all of us so that we, we're all in the same place. Romans 3.
Are you going to read it? Sure. Okay. So Romans 12. One Romans 12, 1 through 3. Romans 12, 1 to 3. I guess it is on. I'm speaking right into it. Okay. Um, Romans 12, 1 through 3. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Thank you. All right, let's take some time together at table to reflect on the third and fourth question in your workbooks. How did Daniel and his life model living his life as a living sacrifice? In what ways is God calling us? And then in this time of economic upheaval, what is God asking us to give up in order to heed his missional call? To call us all back together because um, we need to have Dave up at 10 so that we can, because he's going to help us with our practice for next week. What are some of the ways in which Daniel modeled how we are to serve as living sacrifices? Oh, sorry. To worship, um, they set out a decree that he, everybody had to worship the king as right. God. And he said, I'm going to worship God as God. And I think that is one of the living sacrifices he did where he worshiped God more than he worshiped the king because he was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Got him in trouble a lot. Oh, yeah, he know. got into the lion's um, den on that Yeah, <laughs> and so, you know, I think that that was one of the ways he was a living sacrifice that he sacrificed himself for God to prove that, you know, God is better than a person, you know. And God is God. Thank yeah. you. Oh. Who else? Oh, Pastor Dave. Um I think he understood himself and knew himself to be first and foremost a king or a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, mm. not a king, not a, a citizen of Judah or Israel or Babylon or whatever. Everything was focused out of his understanding that he was a citizen in the kingdom of God, um, however we might try to label this today. And therefore, he didn't have to please other people. He didn't have to fear what we might fear as we step out into the world to affect change. He, he knew where his grounding was and, and where his judgment would lie. You know, it wasn't going to be in what his neighbors thought of him or it was what God would think of him. Thank you. Anyone else? So in what ways is God calling us? 
to serve and to live as living sacrifices? And how are we being called to heed God's call into our community in this time and in this place? I know y'all were talking. Were you just talking about other stuff? Jerry. I think the only time I ever was sacrificed was when I was in medical school. So it prepares you for now. Yes, so it prepares you now to live into God's call. We were saying that you, when you think of sacrifice, you think of, I have a lot of money, maybe I can write a check. And we decided in Canton, maybe that's not the best alternative. Maybe somebody needs a hug or uh, towels to wash with and a bar of soap. There are so many ways that we can sacrifice that aren't just out of our excess. They're out of what we can really give that matters. Absolutely. You don't? Sure. Uh, I don't know. Is that on? Uh Uh-huh. My son comes to class here with me. He's very intellectual. I always tell him he has. He writes it down so I can explain it sometimes in class. But he's got a good heart, and he loves the Lord. I live in the inner city. I've lived here for years. And I want to tell you something that happened to us. He's not here. He hasn't hasn't today. But I hope he doesn't mind me sharing. What can we do? We are living sacrifices. I am, you know, growing in my neighborhood for 40 years, and I know the kids and the kids and the families and so on. Things change change drastically in some areas, you know. Well, I don't have a garage, and my son drives for a living. That's what he does. He chauffeurs, or you could say taxi, you know. Uh, And he has his vehicle three doors down from our house. So he keeps it in a overcove patio because he's, very meticulous about his vehicle. So a few weeks, it's been more than that now, but back, uh, he had to go take somebody to Cleveland, and he come back about, oh, I don't know, it's dark out yet, so maybe 6 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning. And uh, the neighbor, next to the neighbor where he parks his vehicle, is sitting on that neighbor's step in her pajamas. And it's dark out. So what do you do? You know, he thinks she's in distress. You know, that's not even her house she's sitting there, you know. So he says, well, what's the matter? Can I help you? You know, we know our neighbors. And uh, uh, she just kind of doesn't answer. But meanwhile, somebody comes out of her house on the other side, irate. And uh, and it's not her husband. And uh, anyway, had some consultation. Well, he turned all the anger to my son because he wanted to aid her. You know, you'd say domestic violence is one of the worst things you can get yourself into. Well, anyway, a lot of words were said, and I guess this, you know, he threatened him, you know, life or death threatened him. Well, let's just put it like that. And uh, so my son, he had backed his car in this patio. He just got back in his car and left. But he had such a heart because he didn't want this, you know, this woman, and he, he could drive away, and this guy is at his car, you know, ready to, who knows. So he calls the police, and... I'm sleeping, and my son lives with me. And uh, uh, anyway, about two hours later, he calls me, and he says, uh, is there anything going on in the neighborhood, Mom? And I says, I says, well, it's only not even 7 o'clock yet. I said, I haven't even been up. And he says, well, he says, uh, I had this little situation. And he explains it, and they called the police, and somebody else probably heard this and called the police. 
And he says, the police were supposed to call me back because I don't believe, you know, I want to come home until it's taken. But I'm so concerned about the neighbor. But don't go out and look because he knows me. I would be out there. And uh, anyway, everything's calm. And so he waits and he hasn't got a call. So he, uh, two hours later, it's a lot of story in between this, but uh, he comes home and uh, the fellow that was going to attack him, that he, you know, he does, you know, no, here had been waiting for him, all right? Uh, and he's upset, really upset, because there's nothing being done about the situation. There's a lot of things in between this, uh, w- with the police and different things. But he comes in, and I says, have a cup of coffee, Craig, relax, you know, it's okay, you know, I mean, uh, this guy comes back, comes out of the, his house that he had this woman, I guess he broke her door down. I don't know what the whole situation was, but she didn't have her phone, but this maybe was after in between all of this time. But he come down with a 9mm gun standing on his head, out the door. He come down and he's waiting for my son. And if it wasn't for him stopping for that coffee... You know, I says, come in, have right. a cup of coffee, because he's going to go back out and clean his car because he's out. And he's right. in my driveway. And he is so irate, this guy. is. He, my neighbor, the cross right across, seeing him. And uh, he took his, the gun, and then he beat my son's car, broke the, you know, the window or the headlights or something. But that quick, I thought, God has been protecting us, because he could have been there. He could have been shot and dead. Right. Now I want to tell you, back up a week. Talk about prayer and covering the neighborhood, living sacrifice. I had something from the UPS. I'm, I'm, I don't want to take some, but this is important. We need to know this. It's practical things. We all live, and we miss our blessings, and we miss the way sometime we can step in for the Lord. Anyway, I don't open my front door. Uh, it goes right through the house, the cold air, so I never use the front door. But I have to open the garage door and come out to see who's at the front door. So anyway, this is United Parcel guys pounding and pounding and pounding and I didn't hear him but I opened the door and by the time I got out there I was frustrated, he was frustrated because he's waiting for me because I have to sign for the package and as quick as that I felt the Lord telling me pray for him and I thought who are I was, I'm, I'm irate, he's irate I mean I'm, I'm going to, you know, the thought just the thought, so anyway I sign it and he says is this your name because I scribbled it kind of and then I looked at him and I thought now it's all happening so fast, you don't think, but am I going to do this? I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm already angry with them. It's snowing. I'm out here without a coat. And I says, I want to pray for you. Didn't I, that's all I said. And I thought, you know, he can either say yes or no. I, I don't even know what I thought. And, you know, this guy was like six foot tall, like an NBA basketball player. And I'm looking up. He grabbed both of my hands. This guy did. And he says, you must be a woman of faith. And I, I'm now I'm, you know, kind of. And when he looked at me, he started quoting all the scriptures and blessing me. You're the head and not the tail, you know. You know, you, you, there's no weapon formed against you will prosper and all. Then when he got done, he says he prayed for the neighborhood. He don't know me from anybody. But you see what happened a week later with my son? He covered me with the neighborhood, and he was a man of God full of the word of God. And I did get an opportunity to pray for him. But that's what it's all about. I live by the school, and I pray for the kids. And your prayers do make a difference. Your finances make a difference. It's the motivation of your heart when you do them.
and if God's calling you to put it here or there. Well, or even thank you. When we're not motivated, but we still, still do it. Still still do do it. it. Yes, still it's do it huge. Yeah. I, um, it's amazing when we meet Christ in the strangers, guys. And when we dare to trust that it is as simple as putting food in the eating place and drink in the drinking place and music in the listening place and saying, I want to pray for you. It is a holy thing indeed. Um, I'm going to hand this over to Dave, but I just want to uh, close with, if you ever get really kind of depressed or frustrated with um, just the, well, as my mother, who's in the early stages of Alzheimer's, she goes, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? I want to encourage you to read the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three chapters of Revelation and allow God to speak into this time and place. But for now, Dave has a practice for us. Well, you have this bent up. I have to put it on the wrong ear. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Now, let me see here. Can you hear me all right? Can you hear me at all? All right. Stewardship of self. Um, not necessarily how do we take care of ourselves, I might add. Um, it may have deeper meanings to it. And what I want to do, I want to start by reading um, Romans 12.1 again. So you see it right there? All right, I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to read it word for word to yourself as I'm reading it, okay? Found it? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies to receive blessing upon blessing, blessings that mirror the blessings of the world. This will please God. Is that what you read? No? Gospel according to Dave, yeah. Yeah. No, there, there, we were talking at our, our table about the, the power of culture and how we can fear going against it, how um, it influences us when we don't even know it. And I think that's what leads me to the idea that, that, that um, Daniel is able to, to hold his composure in his place because he knows who he is, he knows whose he is, he knows his kingdom. Um, when we read 12.1, I think our culture tells us something. And that is to negate that, at least that one word. Sacrifice. Um, because that's not really what we're into. We were talking about the fact that, that to lead anything today requires massive ego certainly political leadership, um, corporate leadership, mega church leadership requires mega ego. Um, the idea of sacrifice or um, 
giving up is not really part of our vocabulary anymore culturally. Um, so this idea, you know, of, of stewardship of self, I, to understand that everything we've been given is a gift of God must mean that even the challenges, even the heartaches, even um, the injustices, even um, our losses, all the things that, that we are given in life um, must in somehow or another come from God. Now, this also touches into the sermon today. So I'm not suggesting that, that God creates these things for us, but they're part of the world that he has created and, and we are in it. Um, how can we, when we're, we're thinking this week and pondering these, these reflections, how can we begin to see that perhaps there is something in looking at ourselves and not only the blessings we have, but also the challenges that we've been given. How can we look at that and say, there is something here for me to grow into and then in time to make a witness of? So in my suffering, how do I, how do I find redemption in all of that that I can then make a witness about it? What does that take? And we'll be talking about that in, in the sermon. But, but when we talk about stewardship of self, we don't need to be simply talking about what I have. My experience has become something that I have to offer and I need to tend to. And they become what I can use in my ministry, what you can use in your ministries. It's not all prosperity gospel stuff, folks. There's, there's a whole lot in, in our suffering. Um, and it's born out in Christ. I mean, Christ is the great witness of that. So that's the challenge. Pay serious attention to that word, sacrifice. Um, and what sacrifices you might be able to use um, to glorify God and make a witness. That clears mud or what? Yeah. yeah I, I, maybe it was a one-way conversation over here, but I, I used the illustration of uh, what what goes on with the, the PGA Tour and with Arnold Palmer. Oh. Arnold Palmer's tournament is this weekend, and uh, he was known as the king. It doesn't work. Anyway, they called him the king. They called LeBron the king, and and focusing back on Palmer all this flattery and all this recognition. It's unbelievable yeah. what he accomplished and how much influence he had on people. And they, they ran this, this song from Tim McGraw during one of the documentaries of his life, Always Be Humble and Kind. That's right. Beautiful okay. song. Too. And I think the sac... I just hit me here, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. The sacrifice is, is the humility of that, that we all have to achieve. The, the culture is... An achieving culture. If you don't right. achieve, you're you're not you're a loser. You're, you're not making it. And uh, yet, here was achievement with humility. And uh, I think the song says it uh, pretty well. It hit me. Yeah. So, well, it also begs the question: What is achievement? 
Well, I, that's, a, that's a big... That's a big one. You know, it depends what is it on the to field. achieve? I'm, I'm sure John doesn't have a chart on his wall of how many sent to jail. But I, I, can, <laughs> tell you, I can tell you when you're in the sales there's a chart everywhere. You bet, yeah. One of the things that I, I, I would ask, I guess, is that, number one, I think one of the uh, obstacles is a lack of patience. Uh, Whatever we want to do, we want immediate results. Yes, Uh, we do. But the most important thing I got out of this, in a way, is that I guess the question is, can you really ever fail if, in fact, with confidence, as opposed to a strong ego, with confidence, you are working and attempting to do God's will? Can you ever really fail when you're doing that, because fear of failure is what keeps us from proceeding. Mm-hmm. So I, I would ask that question, because if you're not worried about the failure, then you're going to be much more effective. Good. What's the answer? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Let's pray. Let's head into worship. If you were 8 o'clock, head home. Uh, be a blessing. But uh, those of us heading into worship, let's pray that... Um, we may honor God and glorify God in our worship. Let's pray. Lord, God of all, you've given us much to think about, much to ponder, much to lift up to you. Um, Keep us focused this week on who you are and who we are as we head into Holy Week, but a week from today. Keep us focused uh, not only on the cross, but on Resurrection Sunday. Help us to ponder the ways we might be faithful disciples. Help us to ponder the ways we might offer our lives to you to shape and form and renew in ways that are beautiful in your sight, in ways that glorify you. Bless us now as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.